Hello and welcome to the very latest Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much for your company tonight. Really appreciate it. And without Charles Louis Group, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. So thanks to them as well. They're an advisory business who advise on development, finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. Um, they're also a mortgage company who offered buy to let first time buyer and moving home, um, home mortgages, but they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agents and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. And they do a lot of tweeting at the moment, so you can see the type of properties that they deal with. And we thank them for their support. Uh, now, the cast tonight on the Forever Blue podcast uh, is Adam, um, who... There are two Adams who contribute to the podcast. This is the Adam that uh, came to us first through the City Matters Committee, uh, but now he's he's just one of us again. He was uh, important when he was on that. No, he's not different now than he was then. But anyway, Adam is with us. We've also got Harlan, and we have our special guest, Gary Owen, the former uh, City player. It's always a pleasure uh, to have on the programme. Uh, now, I said programme, the podcast, obviously, which is free to download, free to subscribe, and we hope you enjoy it, share it, and spread it around. Now, we, we start this podcast with, obviously, the, the fantastic position that City are in after winning at Everton in the FA Cup. It was um, a little bit of a late show. Uh, the two goals both came in the last 10 minutes. I was lucky enough to be inside the stadium because I was covering the game for Sony TV India. And I know what it was like in there. And I've got to say, I've said this before when I've been lucky enough to be in stadiums, that it was it really brings it home to you how soulless the whole experience is being in a, when I say silent, silent from the stands, you can hear everybody shouting. In fact, you can hear, you know, the... I could hear Ruben Diaz, for example, from the edge of his own penalty area, shouting instructions, would you believe, to the strikers and, and people on the edge of the other penalty area, which I'm not sure, Gary will be able to tell us, whether in normal circumstances, when there's a crowd in there, you would ever actually hear a shout from your own defender so clearly, but I could hear it in, in the stands. Um, so it was, it was a bit surreal. Uh, I was very lucky to be there. I realised that. But for anybody who's thinking, oh, I wish I was there as well, it's not what you think. You know, it's not quite the same experience and you do miss the supporters being there. So let me start actually by asking you, Gary, if if you were in the day when you were playing, mm. you know, if a defender shouted a message to you in midfield or beyond you to attack, would you have heard it with a crowd baying all the time, all the way through the match? Yeah, Ian, it, it doesn't bay all the time. I mean, the, the times are when you come out... Uh, for the start of the game and, and the kickoff, it's obviously everybody's excited about it. But when there's a lull in the game, yes, you can hear instructions and you can get the sidelines. But in general, if they're singing and shouting and, and, and the game's a bit feisty, it is very difficult. But then again, it depends on, on you know, certain crowds, certain crowds are louder than others. But in general, it's normally when there's a, uh, an injury or a stop in play that the instructions are given mainly because in the heat of it, you're concentrating that much that sometimes when people are shouting at you or shouting to you, you don't even know they're shouting at you because you're concentrating too much on the game. But there are times in the game where you can pick up instruction. And obviously that's when, certainly in my day and this day, when the game comes to a lull or a stop, then certainly instructions is easy to understand. So what did you make of the, the game at Everton then? I mean, was it all about... Everton just putting everybody behind the ball and that's why City found it hard to break them down. Yes, exactly that. But it's not something new to us. It's, you know, we, we've had that 
we've had that for many years, not just under under Pep, but we had it, you know, under Pellegrini and and Roberto for for times as well. But certainly under under Pep's management, it's it's become more and more, and he's had to find a new way of breaking them down. And the new way of breaking them down is it's a little bit like that stonemason that chips away at a rock and he's bashing that rock and they say on his uh, on his hundredth smash it breaks open it's not that hundredth smash that breaks open it's the 99 times that he's going at it that hundred one is just the one that opens it and that is similar to what we're having to do if if you read what pep says and listen to what pep says he's saying he wants us to slow our game down not when we've not when we've not got the ball, because then he wants us all action, closing down, getting back as quickly as we can, but only only when it suits us to do that. So he's getting us to be a bit a more patient side. And because we're always used to seeing us go out there and get early goals, when you get early goals, it, it kills anybody's uh, pattern of what they're going to do. If we'd got an early goal against Everton, they'd have had to change what they're going to do. and Maybe the game would have become more open, but they concentrated. And I understand why they did it. They were missing. They don't have a squad like us. Well, not many clubs have squads like us, but they don't have an in-depth squad, which means if they're missing three or four players of their normal 11, that is a big blow to them. And they've not got the replacements to, to substitute. When you think their keeper was a third choice keeper making his debut, you know, it, it they did have to batten down the hatches. And I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to think, what are we going to do? If we go out and try and play against this lot, we're going to be dead and buried and out of this within 15 minutes. So we need to stay in it as long as we can. Hope we can get a set play. Hope they make a mistake. Hope, against all hope, that they don't break us down. But, but as Ancelotti said, when you're playing against the best team in the world, and that's his words, not mine, when you're playing against the best club side in the world, it's almost impossible to keep them out for, for 90 minutes. And, and I think now City fans have got to understand when it's teams as organised as that is that we have to be patient. And sometimes we have to go until the latter stage of a game to break, break them on that 99, the 100th bash, and you open it up. And then it could have been, well, it was two, but it could have been three. It could have easily been three. So it, if we can get an early goal, it changes how teams want to set up against us. But we're going to face this more and more Maybe not when we come up against maybe Chelsea, as we will do in the semi-final. We'll come to that in a minute. No. Or if we present, or if we pass Dortmund, we come against against Bayern Munich or PSG. Then I think they'll want to take us on at our own game, and then we will see some great football. But you know, there's a lot of football to be played before before we get anywhere near that. Well, just before we move on to the FA Cup draw and the Champions League draw and one or two other things, um, what did you think, Adam? I mean, I spoke to a, a mate of mine today who shared um, Gary's view, really, that Everton had parked the bus. And I just said to him, well, what do you expect them to do? You know, man for man, they're not nowhere near City standard. What would you do if you were Carlo Ancelotti? What would you do if you were Everton? And I suggested that you probably wouldn't do it much different. I mean, those of us who can remember Dave Bassett's Wimbledon in the old days, we might not have liked the style of football, but that was a pragmatic way of using the resources that they had. And it got them to, let's face it, the FA Cup final. Um, it got them to the Premier League. And yet it wasn't very cultured. So what did you make of it, Adam, at, at Everton? Yeah, I think I agree with Gary, really. It's just a, a game of patience, isn't it? I think these days as well, I'm... 
I'm getting more relaxed as we go into the later stages and it's still nil-nil. I've, I've got a confidence that we will get that goal eventually, especially if it's in a cup match. You know, the worst thing can happen is, you know, if it's nil-nil, it's going to go to extra time, then they're going to be even more tired at that point. So um, I know it might not be the most exciting to watch all the time, but you can't, uh, you know, yeah, you can't blame Everton for doing what they think they've got to do to win. I thought they were... Uh, pretty over-physical at times. I don't know how Gomez managed to stay on the pitch. I thought he did about six yellow card fouls. Um, and we didn't get anything off that ref. And, we, you know, again, penalty shouts that just that don't even seem to get considered. So all things considered, you can't ask for more for a City, really. Was there a player that stood out for you in the City performance? Uh, well, Foden, I always love watch, watching Foden play. So, But these days, it's just more and more... Like we've said in the past, it's just like a team, it's like a unit, isn't it? It's like you can take individuals out and put in other individuals in and it doesn't seem to make any difference. They they all just seem to know exactly what role they have to play in the team. And it's, uh, yeah, they're just, they're just a, a well-drilled unit. So not, not really, like I said, maybe Foden. When I was asked to pick somebody out, I must admit, I picked Fernandinho and I look at his age and I look at, you know, the, the way he's playing at the moment and you think... Um, how does this guy do it, really? Because it's such a crucial role. Um, I mean, I haven't been able to interview uh, the manager these days and certainly not for the last couple of years. But I remember right at the beginning of when he arrived um, at a press conference, I said Fernandinho is clearly a pivotal player in this team. And there was that sort of knowing look from him that having seen different players that he used at, at different clubs in that role, that he knew how important that one was. And as soon as Fernandinho was named in that team, um, I, I knew he would play well and he didn't let me down. Yeah, no, he's ever had a bad game, has he? <laughs> well, that's possibly true. Go on, um, Harlan, what did you make of it then? Uh, you love the tactical battle. Was, yeah. was it inevitable that that was the way Everton would play? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think, it, like like Gary said, bang on with the fact that, that they have they have players missing, um, creative players like James that they, that they didn't obviously have, have, have at their disposal yesterday would have been players that would have maybe changed the way they approached us and maybe caused a few more problems. I think would have been caused a lot more problems had Fernandinho not have played and Rodri would have done. I think they might have overrun us in midfield a lot more. Although I do like Rodri a lot more than I did when he first came to the club in terms of the fact that he's now starting to play forward more be more expansive with the way he plays. Um, I still believe that Fernandinho, out of the two of them, is the more solid one and the, and the player that we need in those physical games that Adam mentioned against sides that are going to go in a bit tough like that. You know, if they give it us, he'll give it. You know, he'll give it them back. But I, I just feel that, um, like I said, I think it was like a month ago now. I think Adam uh, Waring said it on the pod the week before. I, I said it and, and, and backed him up on it. And Adam's just said it there as well that I think I'm confident in the fact that we'll score a goal. I almost try and enjoy the performance as much as possible, uh, knowing that a goal will come. Because I feel that early on in the season, I was a lot more anxious during games that we weren't maybe leading in. I was almost being distracted from being able to enjoy the beautiful flowing football that I'd done from being within the ground, watching it on TV, because I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to be patient um, and actually enjoy how we were playing. But I think now, the longer that we've proved that we can win games in different ways... I've started to get my head around the fact that no matter what, I think we'll always come away with the result that we should come away with. Um, and that's something that's becoming increasingly apparent. But yeah, uh, for me, Gundogan, again, has been faultless for the majority of this season. Um, I think the way that he, he like you say, always, and we, we, agree, we agree, I know we do, um, you know, picks the extra pass out, always thinks ahead of the, you know, ahead of the game, uh, always thinking about creating all, you know, those patterns. Um, and the fact that he is so 
very talented on the ball is something that I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll be able to replace if he was to one day depart the club either. We'd have to really work hard to find another Ilkay Gundogan. But with Fernandinho, he's just Fernandinho, isn't he? And I think that, you know, if, if, if there's a potential chance that he's offered another year, um, it's got to be done because, you know, we, we, he'll win your titles in with, with just the, the, the desire and the determination that not a lot of players in today's game have got within. It almost has to potentially be coached into players. Fernandinho is one of the old guard, one of those players that drives himself from within. And I think we are very, very lucky to have had him for as long as we've had him. The one player that seems to be getting a lot of debate around him at the moment is Raheem Sterling. He played in that game. And uh, again, people, I, I mean, I know it's all about debate and that's what we're doing now, debating him. But a lot of people have been quite critical. Is that criticism? Have you seen that criticism, Gary? Do you think it's fair that, that Raheem Sterling is getting so much stick? I mean, he's still scored quite a few goals this season. And when I see him play, um, yeah, it might be a bit frustrating, like any player, he might miss chances, but he's still a very, very talented footballer, isn't he? Absolutely. And, you know, with his performances comes expectations. And uh, <laughs> and I don't care who you are, and even though we don't want to do what other football supporters have done with their clubs when they've had success and expect it, it is, it is a natural thing that if players don't play to the standards that they have done uh, for, for some reason, whether or not, maybe it's a positional change or maybe... Maybe, who knows, maybe something that's going on in the life that we don't know about that, that, that don't give them that, that sense of, of freedom or they might be carrying a little knot, but nothing to, to, to keep them out of not playing. There's lots of things. They might have a bit of cold or you just don't feel, or they feel under the weather. It's, you know, a footballer's he's job is... Justin, then he, he isn't playing quite to his, his, his top game. No, he's, he's, he's not, but, you know, he's still contributing to, to, to our team. Otherwise, Pep wouldn't play. Pep is wise enough. And yeah, he left him out of a few games, obviously to recharge his batteries, because he plays more than anybody, Raheem Sterling, or has done. Recharge his batteries a little bit. Uh, I, I do believe, even though inside the camp they said there isn't, I do believe there might have been words. And I think he might have come out of that, um, that United game. Because when I saw Pep's eyes in that interview after the game, he was absolutely fuming. And not necessarily just because of the result we got beat by our neighbours, but I think of what went on in the changing room. And although everybody says, no, nothing went on, they're fine. And I do believe that's over now anyway. But I think words were said. And, uh, and I think maybe, maybe, that Raheem was left out for a couple of games or three games, mainly... I would think to, to give him to recharge his batteries, uh, just as as Kevin De Bruyne was a bit rusty when he came back, but then he plays against Dortmund and you can see what he's capable of. Even when he's a bit rusty, he can still pull that one ball out that gets you the goal. Um, so, you know, Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne or whoever you want to say, when you have those expectations and you play to that standard, one dip below it, for one reason or another, then this criticism is going to be aimed at you. But that's where we've got to now, is that our, our supporters and the media expect us to be playing at that form day in, day out. It's impossible. They're not machines, they're human beings. So you've got to, and that's why Pep is rotating his team so much. And I think now we're getting to the business end of the season. That rotation, I believe, maybe needs to start to slow down a bit and get <clears> the, it's going to get the, the results because we can't change seven to go and play Dortmund. We can't change seven if we go and play uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, we can't change seven 
if we're going to play Chelsea. We've got to pick our best informed players for those games. And you, and I believe that we will see who he feels is our strongest side for those games. What do you think of the form of Raheem Sterling then, the, t- the other two of you? I mean, I don't know who wants to go first on that, but uh, j- just tell me your thoughts on Raheem Sterling, really. Uh, go on, Adam. Personally, I, I mean, I, I prefer him on the right. I don't I don't like it when he plays on the left so much. Um, and I, I think the style of his game, you know, he's 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 a bit like a drag racer, you know, and so he's gonna he's gonna misfire a little bit sometimes. I don't I don't particularly um, think he's been bad at all this season. I know his numbers are down a bit on last season, but I wonder if part of it isn't just the fact that the other the other players that seem to att- attach a bit of uh, criticism from the City fans are all been playing so well that maybe they've, they've had to turn their eyes somewhere else. You know, if you think about Rodri or Gundogan or I don't know who else, Mares, maybe Mares, and they're all playing really well. Um, and then the only other one, I guess, would be Mendy, who's not really playing much at all. And so possibly it's people just having to look around and, and find somebody else. I don't know. Alan? Yeah, um, it's a difficult one because I mentioned it last week about, about stats and, and, and the fact that, you know, Sterling's stats that have been thrashed out on all sorts of social media platforms over the last couple of years have kind of, and, and I agree with Gary, they've not done him any favours in terms of building that expectation level up as well. You know, his stats are his stats and they're fantastic, but Pep will use them stats with the performance analyst and everybody else within the club, like we saw on um, All or Nothing, to analyse different things, play certain players and, and use them in-house. But to continue to blast them out on social media as a fan base doesn't help the fan base understand why a player maybe isn't performing well anymore or or, 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 or well on a consistent basis. I think we as fans need to kind of admit to ourselves sometimes that we almost raise our own expectation levels of players. So when they don't perform on a match day, we've only got ourselves to blame in a sense for expecting more of them than we maybe should have done. Cause like, like Gary said, they aren't robots. Um, Sterling's one of them players that, that is a better player for me on the right hand side, you know, Never really played on the left for Liverpool when he first came through after the QPR move and whatnot. And some of his best football for us has been on the right-hand side when he's running at people, taking them to the byline, chopping them, um, you know, being explosive and really having a go. Uh, I think the inverted wingers thing was causing us a lot of problems at the start of the season. We've managed to find a way through that now and past that now with Gundogan being a lot more influential in the attacking phase and being able to bring other players into play that have obviously allowed us to go on and have a better second half than first half of the season. Um, but Sterling has kind of fallen back to that trap now of not wanting to attack on his left foot, being forced inside, having to give the ball to other players that are now going to get the plaudits that if he was on the right-hand side, he may be getting himself. So it's, it's a difficult one. But at the end of the day, he's a blue player. He's our player. And, you know, every player is entitled to me to have a couple of off games or a couple of off weeks or a couple of off performances, because let's not forget what he has done for us. And I'm not saying let's go back to the past and give players a free pass. What I'm saying is let's just look at the fact that he might just be having a few difficult moments with having to accommodate other players coming into the team and partnerships, which I mentioned the other week as well. Certain players work better with other players. So Sterling might not work well on the left-hand side playing with a certain midfield combination. If he's on the right-hand side and he's working with someone else, like I used to mention the the um, Milner and uh, Mika Richards partnerships and the Nasri and Richards partnerships of yesteryear. It just sometimes doesn't work with two players on a pitch sometimes. And I think that can also be a contributing factor to why certain players don't always play at their best. 
I suppose um, in the days when you were playing, Gary, the, mm. the thought that so much scrutiny could be put on a player. Now I'm going to change the subject to, to Sergio Aguero, that he comes off in a game and somebody lip reads him and says that he said, they don't pass to me enough. Um, imagine in your day, if if the, there'd been that amount of scrutiny, the sort of things that they would have picked up probably from, from you guys. I mean, if he did say that, have you observed anything to back it up? But but how do you deal with that when when the intensity is so great? But you're glad that you're not playing in this area on that on that basis, aren't you? Well, maybe on that basis, both she was playing for the money that's out there these days. <laughs> uh, but you just just to answer that question, just going back to uh, Sterling being on the left and the right, and the guy saying no, he's better on the right. Most of his goals has come from playing on the left. He cuts in on his right foot and, and scores, and he scores some great goals for us. I mean. Um, Mara's cuts him on his left foot from the right. It is a way, you know, trust me, If as, as a left foot as I was, I would rather play, if I was going to play wide, I'd rather play on the right than on the left. On the right, you can always come inside, you can go outside. When you're, when you're on your stronger foot, by coming inside, you, you're going onto your weaker foot, really. So uh, if you look at the goals, and it'd be interesting to see, the goals that Raheem Sterling only scored coming in from the left, uh, even when ball's been knocked across the face of the goal, ball's coming in from the right, uh, where he's tapped in from the yard, being in the centre, coming in from the left. So it would be an interesting stat. So I'm up there to, to, to be shot if it's wrong. But I I think that maybe most of his goals have come from being on the left-hand side, coming in or shooting with his right foot and scoring. But that's just... Yeah, the, the, no, I, I, get, I get that, Gary. I mean, I mean, I played I played on, on, on the, the right wing myself and... Um, I always prefer it on the left. I'm right-footed, so I get yeah. exactly what you mean. It's always nice to be able to come inside and get that yeah. get that target right and know where you want to put the ball. And it's a, it's a much more inviting prospect than coming on your left as a right footer and being kind of trapped in a way. I mean, Robin Robin's one of them players in the world yeah. that is that is solely left-footed, yeah. and he finds it very difficult on the left. So I, I get what you're saying with that, mm. and, I, and I agree. He's scored a lot more goals in the last couple of years than he has. Uh, or, or, sorry, on the left than he has on the right hand yeah. side. I think that's because of the way that he comes in, plays a one-two, gets it back, yeah. and then he's in a better position. I just mean more running at players and, and being less less kind of eager to run at someone on the left because he feels that if he runs himself to the byline, he's almost trapped in a corner, whereas when he's on the right, he can always use his right foot to maybe work the defender a bit more. That's all I was maybe maybe getting at. Maybe I agree getting with that. I think it's, a bit, it's just a bit predictable when he's on the left, you know what he's going to do. I agree, he scored some nice goals there, but you're losing a lot. You're losing a lot of other stuff there by putting him on the left because he just does that cut inside and tries to score from the corner of the box. That seems to be his only trick on the left. I think. Yeah, but to be fair, Adam, you're saying you know what he's going to do, but but not many stopped him from doing knowing what he's going to do. That's a certainty. But getting back to Aguero, Ian, I mean, it's quite poignant actually because my wife brought it up actually because she said. And, and and you know you know she's so blue it's unbelievable she's more blue than I am, and she said she said you know that is ludicrous that somebody of his his quality can say to the goalkeeping coach he won't pass to me that's like a little lad coming off when you're playing with a skilled team and says we don't pass to him because either either he can't either he loses it or he's not good enough or something like that she but she brought up a great point actually she said that when De Bruyne was going through and there's one instance where he could have played Aguero through the middle. And he played it out to Mara's to the right. And, and so I said, yeah, right, OK, I'm listening. She said, but you remember, for the last year, near enough, there's been no Guerrero in the middle. So when he's broke, he has knocked it to the left or knocked it to the right. So maybe 
maybe clocked into his brain because it is what he's been doing for 12 months. He played in Tamares. And, and I actually said, and when he came on Aguero, has he touched it when he came uh, full time? I can't remember him having a touch. Uh, he must have done, of course, but I can't remember him ever being in, in control of the ball. But for him to come off and say, they're not passing it to me, I'm sorry, as a professional, that is, it's almost childish if that's what he said. And obviously, somebody who's lit reading or, or knows Spanish or whatever say this, that's what he said. I, I just find that that very strange when you're training week, day in, day out. And remember, though, he's not been in the team for any any time for nearly 12 months. He's played minutes, not games. So, you know, the, the team have been playing a different way without him for 12 months. So he's like a new player coming in. Absolutely. I mean, I'm still hoping that he'll get the winner in Istanbul. You know, that's my dream, that he yeah, goes yeah. out on a, on a winning goal and, uh, you know, get, they cheer <laughs> him off and, and he achieves exactly what he said he was going to do, which is not leave the club until he won the Champions League. So I'm still dreaming of that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the Champions League, obviously we have mentioned the draw and everybody knows the draw now um, of Borussia Dortmund over two legs. Then it'll either be PSG or Bayern Munich. And then the final could be Chelsea, Liverpool, um, you know, the, there are different permutations, maybe Real Madrid. Um, but I think City have got the tougher half of that draw, if you look at it that way. Um, it looks to me, I mean, we don't know, I don't think at this stage, I don't think anything's been announced, that probably both games will be played in Hungary again because of the German restrictions on travel. I think personally that, that would play into City's hands because I think playing Dortmund in Dortmund with that big crowd of theirs and the, the noise that comes from the so-called yellow wall would be, uh, I'm not saying the players would crumble under that by any means, but that would help Dortmund. And now if it, they're both played in, in Hungary, I can't help thinking that that will play into City's hands. It, it, how do you see it going now, Gary? Do you feel more optimistic, less optimistic? Because I'm going to ask you about the quad eventually. Um, but, but what about but the chat specifically about the Champions League? Yeah, well, the Champions League, the, the, that yellow wall, that they're the noisiest fans ever to come to at the Etihad. They were the noisiest when they come. I think Klopp was managing them. They absolutely, uh, they absolutely banjoed us. They, they came, Joe Hart had the game of his life that, that, you know, they could have beat us by God knows how many apart from Joe Hart. Uh, and that wall won't be there, whether we were playing in Dortmund or not, because the cards won't be allowed in. Um, but I think, Ian, certainly when you get to the quarterfinals, you're playing against the best teams in Europe and, you know, they've had to go through the group stages. So you, 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 would, you would say that the best teams in Europe are there to be played against. And when you get to a quarterfinal or a semifinal, so it's quarterfinals in this, and we can say the same for the FA Cup. But when you get through to this level, you have to beat what's in front of you because you're either going to beat them in the quarterfinals or you're going to have to beat them in the semifinals. <clears throat> or basically, you're going to have to beat them in the final. So, you know, it's not, and it's, and it's one off, you know, it's, it's one off games in the semifinal of the FA Cup because, and it is the same for the final. In the Champions League, you're playing on the same pitch, but you class one as a home game and one an away game. So you, you have to think a little bit more, more deeply than that. But it doesn't matter who you draw. I was, I was not concerned who we drew because we're going to have to play the best of the best at some point if we're going to win it. And the best if you of the me, if, you, if you were a bit of player, 
in this team, Gary, yeah. in, this, in the dressing room, and there was no camera on you, so you yeah. weren't going to hide your feelings. And that draw was made. Would you not think, oh, God, I wish we'd got Liverpool in the form they're in at the moment or whatever, and uh, instead of getting PSG or Bayern in the semis and, and even arguably getting Dortmund in the, in the quarters? No, listen, Dortmund, I was fine with it. I think Bayern uh, might have... have um, of, of give us a different uh, proposition over two legs, uh, but we're going to be playing them anyway. But we're also going to give whoever we play a different proposition than what they've had. Dortmund don't fear me at all. They concede a lot of goals, uh, Dortmund, as does, as does Bayern, by the way. They concede goals, both teams. We've got a team that, that can score goals because we're the, we're the leading goal scorers. We're also the... the, the uh, the tightest as well because we're, we're least goals conceding. So whoever we play, they would rather be playing somebody else than, than playing us. But eventually, they're they're all thinking we're going to have to play Man City sooner or later. That's what they will be thinking because they'll be thinking we'll get through Dortmund, and Dortmund will no doubt have wished they could have been playing somebody else. That's a certainty. So my fear is not Dortmund because. You know, if it had been PSG against Mbappé and and, uh, and Neymar or Lewandowski by Munich, I know we got Erland at, uh, at at Dortmund, and his his scoring record's great, but they concede Dortmund, they concede. And plus, the fact is, if we're interested in him, then we get a close up look at him as well, won't we? Absolutely. You two feel as confident about the, the draw as Gary clearly does. Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest with you, and sorry, Adam, um, I'll be honest with you, mate. I I, I actually said that I, I would have liked Bayern. Um, in in either the, the the you know this round or the semi finals for the pure fact that you get two cracks at Bayern in a in a in a in a quarter of a semi you only get one crack at them in a final uh, that way you're allowed to you know you play them at home you play them away you can get a grip on them in the first leg if we were to play them away first leg you would be able to go away get your away goal bring them back to the Etihad in the Champions League over the years I've always I've always fancied us to go away from home first and bring them back to our ground to get the um, you know to, to get the job done. I think against Monaco, we played them at home first, went away, drew six all, went out on away goals. We brought Spurs back, but should have beat them in the first leg uh, with that penalty that Aguero didn't didn't convert. Um, and that was a tricky night where obviously we all know what happened, which I'm not going to mention because it gives me shivers. But um, overall, I think that, you know, like like Gary said, I've looked at the, the stats from Dortmund's um, season and they, they score two. And, and I think Haaland come off yesterday against... Um, I think it was who was Cologne. it played yesterday? Cologne. Cologne, sorry, yeah, yeah, FC Cologne, yeah. So they drew two all. Um, he's banging in two goals, three goals a weekend, and they're conceding one or two, or drawing two all, or drawing three all, and chucking leads away against Bayern Munich themselves. So I think when you're a striker that's scoring two goals, and yet the rest of your team are switching off and not getting the job done uh, to support your goal scoring feats, that's going to become very, very frustrating. So I agree with Gary. I'm not. I'm not worried about Dortmund. Am I worried about Haaland's um, strength, composure, ability? Uh, I think it'll be a different challenge for Diaz and Stones to contend with other than some of the strikers in the Premier League. But I think that, you know, they're going to be coming up against him every year, in, every, every, every week in training next year, aren't they, hopefully? So um, they, can, they can, like you say, get a grip on him now and, and suss out what he could do for us next season. But listen, at the end of the day, I, I always look at it like, you know, a lot of people out there that don't think in depth go... Oh, well, when, when you play a team like Bayern Munich uh, or, or a Dortmund that are free scoring, it's going to be a four-all, five-all game. That's not how football works sometimes. I always look at it as when you've got two top dogs playing each other, 
a lot of the time they cancel each other out and it's quite a low scoring tactical game where managers have to really work for the sing for the supper, if you want to call it that. And um, I can imagine us being quite um, imposing against Dortmund. And I don't fear Bayern Munich in the semi-finals either, because like I say, you get you get two shots at them. So I'm quite I'm quite excited, really. And I think last year we kind of got what we wanted in Leon and didn't turn up over that one leg because it was obviously only a, a one-legged tie last year. Um, and I remember City fans around the world celebrating that draw, saying, oh, brilliant, we got the easy draw against Leon," And yet they stung us for the second time in, in two seasons in the Champions League. So I think it, it, it's, it's a nice prospect to have two difficult teams, difficult, more difficult teams, and really test our metal against the best in, best in Europe for me. I think it'd be a really good test. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, the same. I mean, there's well, seven other teams left in here. We're going to have to play half of them anyway, more or less, if we want to win the tournament. So it doesn't really matter who we draw, I don't think. Um, I'm not particularly scared. I'm not particularly scared of Dortmund. But yeah, then you know, like you're saying, we've, we've been turned over by teams we should have beaten in the last few years anyway. So yeah, it doesn't bother me. Bring it all on. These are these are the games you want, aren't they? I want, I want to see us play Bayern. I want to know if we can beat Bayern. You know, that's what we sit through all these Shakhtar games and all these Porto group games for in the in the autumn, isn't it? To get to these these big games, you want to see, we want to pit, pit ourselves against the best, see where we are. In the FA Cup, if we're being honest, I bet all of us would have preferred to have played Southampton um, rather than, oh, Gary's shaking his head at that, so we'll get Gary's view on that in a sec. I, I would have wanted Southampton, I'll, I'll be honest with you, in the semi-final. Uh, Chelsea at the moment seem to be into a rich vein of form and obviously we know it's going to be Leicester uh, probably, I'm saying, in the final. I'm imagining they'll beat Southampton. So that is the toughest route as well. So, Adam, while we've got your views on the Champions League, you can kick us off with uh, the FA Cup. Um, Gary, we know, because I can see his reaction, um, would have been quite happy playing Chelsea, it seems, in the semi. Uh, what about you, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I would have preferred Southampton, but again, if we'd have beat, if we'd got Southampton in the semi-final, we probably would have ended up having to play Chelsea in the final anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, I feel like it's got City Leicester final written all over it. We can go out in red and black stripes again. <laughs> what about you, Harlan? Uh, yeah, um, it's one of them again, isn't it? You know, I mean, you, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea are a, are, are a decent side. Tuchel's got a fantastic record with them, but again, like I said a minute ago. Um, it's one of them games where it's 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 Tuchel versus Pep, and whoever whoever sets the team up with the with the better players in you know on the day and 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 get gets it right in the dressing room, hopefully we'll get the result on the pitch. I think when when two juggernauts, if you want to call us both that, face off, um, it's all about what the players do on the pitch and like I say, how they set up, and you can get unexpected results. You can also get what you're expecting, um, and if we were to like I say, have got Southampton or that Adam said, get Southampton or yourself. I think that we would have had to play Chelsea in the final because I, I wouldn't have been able to see any other any other route than Chelsea getting there. So I think, you know, go, go, going against Chelsea, believe in, our, believe in our ability. We beat them this season anyway. Granted under Lampard, different kettle of fish under Tuchel. Um, but it's one of them where we, you know, it's Chelsea. They're in our division. They're in our league. We've got to play them twice every season. It's another, it's another game against Chelsea. It's an English side. We're going to have to play them again twice next season. It's just an extra game against Chelsea, as far as I'm concerned. Get the job done. Believe in ourselves. We'll be all right. Gary, we could play Chelsea in the Champions League final, as well as the semi-final of the FA Cup. So, uh, uh, you, you, But you're not worried about them at all? Of course. Of course I'm worried about them, because Tuchel has got them playing 
playing a similar game to what we do, which is perfect. Perfect. We want a team that wants to try and take us on. And if they're going to try and play that possession game, and we're, and we're the best at closing down. Uh, we're the best at closing down, not giving you no space. So, you know, let, let's put them to the test against us. And I'd rather, uh, you know, if you're going to get beat by anybody, get beat in the semi-final, don't go to the final and, and, and get beat. There's no, no, nothing worse than getting there and, and the cherry's hanging there and you can't take it. Let's uh, a semi-final's perfect. Let them, if they want to play that game that he's trying to get them to play against us, well, bingo, that suits me 100%. Play your, our problem we don't want to do is play in the semi-final where people's 11 men behind the ball and they might just sneak a set play uh, or, or, you know, one mistake or... Yeah. So let's take on Chelsea that wants it, because I think wants them to play a type of football that Pep has obviously brought to this country and everybody's trying to emulate it now, as we saw with with the magical Fred uh, today for United. You know, I mean, how would you give him the ball? I mean, how would you give him the ball at any point? I mean, we dodged a bullet with him. There's no two ways about it. But giving him on the edge of your own box and then he gives the ball back and allows our secret agent, Kelechi, to get round the keeper and knock it in. So, yeah, let them play that game against us. That is food and drink for us. And, yes, we can get beat by them because they've got some good players. But if, you, if you're sat in their dressing room or sat in our dressing room, which one would you rather be in? And I'm not saying that because I'm blue, but I know which one I'd rather be. Of course you would. And you ask any professional player, apart from play for Chelsea, which dressing room would you rather be in on that game if your life depended on it? And I know we're, we're the majority, apart from the ones that's probably lost it completely, but I know where the, the sensible people would rather be in. Well, I can't, I can't disagree with you there, Gary. Not that I very, very rarely disagree with you anyway. <laughs> let, let me ask you about the, the quadruple now, because... Pep Guardiola said in a press conference um, that after Oleg Zinchenko had said, you know, we could win the, the quadruple, um, he sort of seemed to want to quash that down. I can understand why the manager would say that. And I can also understand, um, in fact, I can understand why a player would be quite would be quite confident. But we're fans. I know you're an ex-player, Gary, but essentially, you know, you're one of us now. You're a fan. Um, yeah. As a fan, you know, do, do you want to shout from the rooftops? Do you want to enjoy the moment of dreaming about the Champions League and FA Cup and League Cup and League All in one season, this unprecedented quadruple? Or are you frightened of saying it because because we're City fans and, and it goes against our nature? Where, where do you stand on the quadruple? Well, it's not in our nature anymore, Ian. It's not in our nature. We need to get rid of that. It's in our nature. It's not in our nature anymore. Those days have gone when the type of play and the type of manager we brought into and the type of investment we brought into the club, you know, people hang on to that because if we, if we have a bad result, they say, oh, it's the same old city. It is nowhere near the same old city. And anybody that still lives in that needs to get it out of the head. That's a certainty. Um, do I think it's possible? Yes, I think it's possible. Do I think we'll do it? Probably not. Why do I think that? Because it's not just... It's not just because we have to play Chelsea in the semi-final or we've got to play Tottenham in another final. But, you know, on the day we can beat Tottenham, of course we can. And then we've got the, the, uh, the Champions League coming up. So there's a lot of games and a lot of important games that is going to have to be played. And not always our best team, as we would probably put down as our best team, will be able to represent us in all those games. Because the amount of games we're playing we're going to have to rotate. We're going to have to rotate. I'm just hoping that Pep rotates with the right players for the right game. That's, that's uh, And he will know better than anybody because he's working with them. Uh, do I think it's possible? Yes, of course I think it's possible because we, we've got the players. 
Is it feasible? Yeah, of course it's feasible because we've got the squad. Will it happen? You would probably say no, because bookmakers are not going to tell you your odds on to get that. They're going to give you odds against it. So bookies are really wrong. And I hope they're wrong on this. But it is a big ask because nobody has ever done it. And there's a reason why nobody's ever done it. Because it takes it. And the season going on longer. I think Pep said, you know, we played one. Uh, we played a game every three days for the last four months. It's only two weeks now that he's able to, a week where he can just turn off in football to clear his head a bit. Well, players not, because nearly every player we've got is on international duty somewhere. So, you know, we're risking COVID because we're going to different situations. We're risking injury for him to come back. So there's a lot of things that's got to go in our way. And without doubt, we're going to have to have a little bit of luck. You've got to have a little bit of luck when you're coming up against teams to have the players like Lewandowski and Mbappe and Neymar. And so, uh, and Erlen, uh, Harlan, sorry. At, uh, you've got to have a little bit of luck. You've got to do so with a fair wind. And we keep all our players fit and we pick the right teams. If we pick the right teams and, uh, and we don't have injury problems, on a one-off game with the right players, we can beat anybody. So, yes, it is feasible. But will we do it? It's never been done for a reason because it, it is asking too much. And if my life depended on it, I would probably say no. But my life doesn't depend on it. I'm just dreaming like you are that we can do it. I just think that having seen that game recently against Fulham where... Pep picked a team which you probably would argue wasn't his strongest team, and they still did what they did because they're drilled and and they're they're just playing I, like a. You could not play that team that we played against Fulham, against Bayern Munich, against Chelsea, or against uh, uh, PSG. We cannot play that team that we play against Fulham against them because you not think he was auditioning that team, Gary. Sorry, you not think he was auditioning that three at the back. Jesus Christ. I mean, I think uh, Mendy's had enough auditioning in, in my... I mean, and he came out after Pep and said, he obviously watched a different game than me. He thought that Mendy was excellent. I, I'm sorry, you know. I've got the same eyes as Pep. Of course I have. And I didn't see how he was excellent in that game. I, in fact, he frightened me every time he got it. I thought his position sense was all over the shop. He, his pace has gone completely. He's got no legs anymore. Just trying to get back, he was running in quicksand. So some of those players that played, and plus the fact you're asking seven players, as good as they are, could be individual, to go into a team and expect to play, even drilled or not in training. You're asking seven players that don't play together week in, week out, to turn up on one day against a team that's fighting for their life. Because they they could be quite dangerous for them. Of course they could, they showed that early in that game. We cannot play. We cannot play unless we play our strongest team, and we all know who, who that includes, against the top teams, we can't change seven and expect to win it. It will not happen. And we cannot do like we've done against Tottenham and against Lyon, where we change our game to suit them. We cannot do it. We play against because they were, What? Because they're a bit pacey going forward. Well, OK, if they're pacey going forward, then they're going to beat us. If that's the only thing you can... Then we, we counterattack that. We don't change our game because they've got two, two players that are, are quite pacey. We play our game and they should be worried about us. If we start changing our game... I went to Tottenham away and we, we were like frightened rabbits in the headlights. We were just looking to not get beat in that game. And we missed a penalty to make it worse. Then we played Leon, And Leon, I mean, we didn't even start in that game. We have got to be on the front foot from, from point one when we start getting with our best team if we're going to win. 
if we're going to get anywhere near that quadruple, we've got to play our best players, we've got to play our way, and we've got to play from the first minute until the last. Now, that is my opinion. Harlan, City are going to win a quadruple this season. Oh, you're quite, I know why you're asking me that, because you know, I'll, you know you, you, you're expecting me to say, yeah. Um, <clears throat> do I believe we can win all four trophies isolated from one another? Yes, I do. Um, I think the pressure that's coming from outside is there to try and distract. And, uh, you know, touching on what Gary said, it's dealing with that as well. It's dealing with all the added pressure uh, where, where players, you know, players aren't robots, as we said earlier on. Players have got to deal with that. It's a mental thing as well. It's a mental battle. If somebody starts to get giddy during a match around 60 minutes thinking we threw and then they were to drop the game for, for 20 minutes, they could, you know, they commit a foul in a stupid area or there's a mistake or something like that or the ball gets given away in a similar way to, not saying we would do, but a similar way to Fred did today where it could happen. Someone switches off, someone doesn't mark a man. You know, that kind of stuff can be the, the one nail in the coffin that unfortunately means that you don't progress in a competition. So I think it's a big task for Pep to keep everybody motivated at the same level to continue to work within his philosophy and get them to every final and every final, you know, finishing line, if you want to call it that, of every competition. But do I believe that we have the quality, the players, the ability and the desire to want to do it after previous stints in the Champions League? Yes, I do. It's a really difficult question on its own. Do I think we can win it? Because I, I obviously, thinking about us winning it gives me the butterflies. It's brilliant. It's it's everything I ever, well, I didn't even dream of it as a kid because I, I dreamt of winning the Thomas Cook trophy, for God's sake. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like, it, it, it's everything you could even ever imagine. I mean, and if there's one man to do it in the world, it's Pep. He did it, you know, I think he won, did he win the quadruple at Barca? They win the Champions yeah, League, yeah, the yeah. Copa del Rey, the Spanish Super Cup and the league. So I think if anyone can do it, if anyone's done it in another country, it's, it's there. And we've proven that we can win the domestic treble. So if you look at it like that, it's one extra trophy. It's the domestic treble that we've already achieved plus one. And that took it out of us. And it took it out of me as a fan, I think, the last time we did the, the three in this country. So I think if we club together and, 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 and keep our fingers crossed, however many fingers... 55,000 is and everybody else at home that doesn't generally go to the games as much as others, I think we'll be all right. I think we might just do it. But like Gary said, to think about it makes me very anxious because I can't imagine us going out of any of them. So no, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think. <laughs> splinters, up, spl split, splinters up my backside this time. <laughs> I'm on the fence. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on the fence here. Splinters on my backside. <laughs> Go on, have you got an Adam? Uh, an Adam? Have you got an answer for us, Adam? <laughs> well, yeah, and I was talking to me to me stepsons about it, and was trying to. I'm saying that basically, like Harlan says, we you know we might be favourite for each individual trophy, but when you talk about trying to win the lot, I, I was saying it's a bit like rolling a dice, and if you roll one to five, you won the game, and if you roll a six, you've lost the game, and the the chances of just rolling and rolling and rolling all through the season and never rolling a six. It's just something somewhere must go wrong eventually, you would think, which is why it's never been done before. Um, I think the league is as good as wrapped up. Um, you know, the League Cup, we've certainly shown we know how to win that. We're into the final. Of course, it can go wrong, but you make us odds on favourites for that. FA Cup, yeah, I probably would say we're, I'd probably say we're even money favourites to win the FA Cup. I don't know. Um, and my, 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 my concern really is, is the Champions League. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a Tin Hat Brigade member and I, I just don't, 
like the way we get officiated in the, in the big games in the Champions League. And I, my biggest fear of all is that we face Liverpool in the final of the Champions League because I just dread to think what might happen there, referee-wise. Well, <laughs> so, well, no, I don't think we will. Adam, the only thing about it is they can't stone our coach because we'll be playing in Istanbul. <laughs> no, but they could get a first-minute penalty, though, couldn't they? Well, I'll say, I'll say one thing, Gary. If, if, if that game is, is us versus Liverpool in Istanbul... I'm sure the media will make it all about Istanbul and Liverpool and not mention us one bit in the lead-up to the game. So that's another thing that I don't think I'll be looking forward to. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think that, you know, and, and this is, it goes back to what a lot of older fans say about the Champions League, when they remember champions of each league playing each other in, in, the, in the Champions League and in European competitions over the years, European Cup, that, you know, how can a team that have performed as poorly as Liverpool this year get to the Champions League final and then be declared champions of Europe? It's one of them where surely, surely, I'm not saying it's an, it's, a, it's an assurance and it should be a dead cert thing, but after the way we've played this season, the consistency levels, it's so unjust, isn't it, to not be able to win the Champions League. It's one of them where you, you have to be at the races every single game to be able to win the tournament. But it's a lottery. Anyone can win it, even if they've not necessarily played well. I think the year Liverpool won it, I think they lost three games in the lead-up to winning it. And Portugal won the European Championships after not winning a game in 90 minutes in the group stages. So I suppose in a tournament that's knockout, sometimes you just have to be there when it matters, I think. And, and I think that that's maybe sometimes where we would falter, where other teams would maybe grind it out after not playing as well as us. We'd probably burn out, if anything, by playing so well over the course of the season. I'm going to ask a question now, which some people will see as either a negative question, certainly as a controversial question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is if City did do the quadruple this season, would it always have an asterisk next to it because it's been played entirely without crowds? Well, you have to win it. You have to win it whether there's crowds or no crowds. So, you know, would it? Would you say because... Um, we didn't win the league or we didn't win the cup because we had three players out for the season. So should they have won it? Should should Liverpool win that COVID when it was, should all the games been cancelled when it first started in March last year? They shouldn't have had it. Is there anything uh, hanging over over Liverpool that that is, is detrimental to Liverpool win the, the Premiership first time in 34 years? No, it'll say in the record books they won the league. And they won it in, in last year. So for us to win what we're going to win, it's probably been harder because trust me, as a former player, and listen, uh, I would imagine as a fan as well, surely when you go to a game, whether you're playing or you're watching, the crowd makes your, makes your enjoyment of the game, whether you're in amongst the crowd or whether you're playing and the crowd's on, uh, supporting you or against you, because for a player, it can work both ways. You know, you're missing that um, adrenaline rush that, that you don't do. So it's probably even harder to have won it in these circumstances than it would have been with crowds in it. Because footballers, a, a professional at the highest level, are used to playing in front of big crowds and playing in in big tense situations that make make players play better. So sometimes it's as we saw with the early games where there's no crowd. It was absolutely boring to watch. It's got better, actually, because <laughs> the players have got used to having no crowds. But I don't think so. I don't think there'll be any any stigma on it. They'll be there. If somebody ever won that four, it'll never be done again. Harlan? I think, if anything, uh, you know, I think I'm agreeing a lot with Gary tonight. I mean, Gary smashed it tonight. But I think I think it's one of them where, you, you, like, like you said, Gary, it's one of them where 
it's been this situation. This, I mean, let's not forget, I don't want to remember this year for many, many reasons. It's been a terrible year for everyone, but it'll never be forgotten. You know, there's going to be kids sat in schools learning about COVID in many, many years. Like I learned about World War II when I was at school and learned about the plague and whatnot. This is going to be an educational thing now going forward. But this year, this 2021 period of time is never going to be forgotten. And from a, I'm not saying that you would try and detract from the seriousness of this year. So don't misinterpret what I'm trying to say. But this period of time wouldn't be forgotten. It would always be a memorable time for, 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 for obviously for negative reasons. But to, like Gary said, to have, to have won it and continued to support our teams from home, from behind television screens as best we possibly can and do everything we've done on social media to keep, you know, there's been a lot more interaction with players on social media because you've not been able to do it in grounds. You know, some negative, you know, a lot of stuff that we weren't going to talk about, you know, other abuse and whatnot. But from a positive perspective, there's been a lot of g up of players. There's been a lot of positivity. We've had to find a way of supporting our team in a different kind of way. And like Gary said, the players have had to do it without fans in the ground. So this season will be remembered by default because of the period of time that it's been within. But it would also be remembered that Manchester City won all four trophies during one of the worst times in the world's history. So for me, it would be one of them where you can't really call it a feather in the cap in that sense, but it would definitely never be forgotten. And that isn't to detract from the seriousness of the situation, I must enforce, but it would definitely not be forgotten. And like I said, there's many, many reasons why it would be a huge feat and should be appreciated, especially with uh, players having to cope with different situations and scenarios based on what they've had to have in the past or experience in the past, like Gary said. Adam? Yeah, I think there'll be some people who try and put an asterisk against it, but that's probably based on who they support rather than anything else. I think when, if you go back a year, I was more along, feeling along the lines of, you know, sporting integrity's compromised and all the rest of it. Everything's changing in the middle of a season. But this season, everyone knew what we were going into, you know, and it's been the same for everyone. So I'm not taking it seriously, really, if people want to put an asterisk against it. I don't think anybody... Uh, you know, would say that Bayern Munich didn't deserve to win it last year, for example. You know, their respect was the best team really last year. So if we go ahead and, and beat them this year, I, I don't see why that's any different. When you mentioned sporting integrity, does the fact that some games are now being played in third countries like Hungary not affect the sporting integrity of the competition? It would have been interesting to see if we'd have gone out on away goals playing two games in the same stadium, wouldn't it? Could still happen. If, if, yeah. if we play Dortmund over two legs, the same thing could happen, couldn't it? Yeah. Ian, I, I was a bit, sorry, Ian, I was a bit, um, I actually thought that UEFA might have adopted last year's, um, last year's month, but obviously have done that, obviously, within the current normal every, every year system of the Champions League, but it would have only been a one-legged all the way to the final, just to keep that continuity during the COVID situation with last season, just because Munich won it, having played three games towards the final, and now you'll have to win it by playing five games to win the final. So I'd have thought that to continue the integrity of last season's competition and have it as a as a brand new reset when this has disappeared, they might have continued to use the one game per round mentality, but that's obviously been scrapped this year. And I think that it would have been, if we're talking about safety, a lot safer to go to Hungary and play all the games over there and everyone plays in Hungary until the end of the competition. I think that might have been a better way of doing it this year than having bits and pieces played out all you know, here, there and everywhere. 
I do tend to agree with you. So that brings me to the final question of this podcast, which is something that you mentioned, Harlan, before we started recording, uh, which is the prospect of fans uh, being back in limited numbers, perhaps at the last one or two league games. The FA Cup final is another possibility. Um, we, we have mentioned this on the podcast before, but the difference now is that, um, you know, there is a possibility in the league of one round of fixtures being moved so that everybody gets one home game um, as the last one. And you, you, I'll let you kick off on this one because you, you feel from your experience of, of dealing with Bolton fans on Bolton <coughs> FM, where you're a presenter, yeah. that m- maybe their fans would rather actually not go back uh, you know, I'm taking away at the moment the uh, the upset that there might be that certain fans can get in and certain fans can't get in if it's only 10,000. And at City, for example, they could be presenting four trophies for all we know. Everybody yeah. would want to be there and only 10,000 would be there. So do you feel that, uh, uh, from what you said before, it feels like what you want to say is that all games should remain behind closed doors for this season? Yeah, and uh, the reason why I said that, obviously, Gary, Gary knows what I said earlier on, but for the benefit of Adam and everyone listening, I think, you know, I've got two pals that are Bolton fans. In fact, the, the, the people I work with are all Bolton Wanderers fans. Obviously, they start the season down the bottom end. Ian Everett's got his, his philosophy across. He's trying to play a similar brand of football to us. They weren't buying into it at the start of the season. They're starting to buy into it now. They're enjoying watching the playing out from the back. It's very, very patient. They're starting to get results. They're grinding results. And they're now within the playoff places. And I think the fact that they are gearing up towards a potential promotion from League Two now is playing a part in the fans maybe not wanting to return to the ground in case they were to somewhat knock their players off kilter, especially with the fact that they've managed to finally get onto a a decent level of performance where they feel that if fans were to go back, it might offer too much pressure um, and knock them off, 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 um, off target. I also feel that Maybe not, I don't know, it's all about professionalism, I suppose. And that's about players, managers, and, and being able to deal with the pressure. And I think Gary said off, off and I'll let Gary say what he, what, he, what he said before anyway. Obviously, he said it before, so I'll let him say it again. But it was one of them where I just think that, for us, I, I think it had turned fans in on each other. I think it had turned fans in on each other now. I think there'd be, a lot, there'd be lots of Twitter spats. There'd be lots of people calling people for going back. There'd be lots of people saying, well, that's unfair on me. I'm a loyal fan. You're not. You're a, a foreign fan or whatever, or you're, you're a, you're a new, new City fan. I just think that by doing it, it would cause unneeded stress amongst fans at what's supposed to be, or what could be, what could be a very, very exciting end to the season. It could cause conflict between fans, and I think that's something that I don't think I want to see among the blue community. I don't think I want to, I want to see fans criticising each other among the city fan base. To be honest with you, I think that that's something that could happen, and I've kind of almost seen muted when these discussions have taken place over social media. Adam was involved in City Matters for a while, and this would have been the type of thing that you would have talked about. So interesting to see what you think, Adam. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think from a sporting reason, I, I would. You know, I think you should keep it behind closed doors. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's it's uh, it's the best the best idea to start tinkering with competitions midway through. But realistically, uh, it's it's more important about the COVID and society and the and, and how we're going to get back on our feet. And realistically, if if stadium need to, if it's decided that the safest way for, for people to get back in the grounds is to to run test events at a half full or twenty five percent full or whatever. Then, then that's what has to that has to be the overriding priority is just getting it right, managing it back 
properly. Uh, I don't think it, it, it harms the sport and integrity to such a level that it ruins the competition. Um, and then there's also the fact that, you know, we had to we had, we had to lose David Silva without anyone getting to say goodbye to him. And we might end up having to lose Sergio and Fernandinho at this end of <clears> well. And that would be such a terrible shame if all three of those had to leave without any fans there. Gary, last word to you on this podcast. What sort of, you know, there's a few different things that need to be taken into account here. Are you looking forward to 10,000 for the last match of the season or would you rather it didn't happen? No, uh, I don't think it should happen because we have, a, I think, uh, we have 30,000 supporters who are season ticket holders. Um, to, to try and choose 10,000 out of them to be able to go and have the celebrations if we win. One of the, if we win the, the Carabao Cup and we win the league, because that's the only two we'll be able to uh, present, because I think the FA Cup is a week after the end of the last game of the season, and then the Champions League is at the end of that month. So, you know, for, for some to go in and be able to celebrate it and others that, that haven't, how do you choose who goes in and who doesn't? Some will be going out or will not be able to go in there. There's been loyal fans for all their life and been season tickets for all their life. So if it's a, done by a ballot or a lottery, no. I don't think it, it, it should be done. Uh, I agree uh, with what Adam's saying about, uh, you know, David Silva has gone, Sergio could go, for you go, we're not being able to say goodbye, but that's what happened in COVID. But we're in unusual times, and unusual times means we have to do unusual things. But they would always be welcome back, and I'm certain at some point there would be a game arranged for them so the City supporters could do it. But, I mean, can you, listen, if there is a Lord, how does this work? Liverpool have been banging on about this Premier League title for 30 odd years and they've been, you know, wanting it. And that we're going to probably have the trophy in our hands before they've even got a chance to celebrate it with their own fans. So there's been a bit of unjust with everybody, but it's not unjust, it's COVID, it's our time. So we have to work around that. For me, the last two games of the season, no, I would start. And as Adam said, you've got to have test cases. I'll do those test cases because a couple of more months is not going to make any difference. Do those test cases not in May for the last two games of the season, starting in September when the when the season starts again, the test cases, when COVID is probably uh, um, not as not as bad as it was and not as bad as it is now, and hopefully a, a lot clearer of what, who we can bring in and, and maybe what precautions that, that we have to take. So I'm definitely not for, for, for the last two rounds of the season. Leave it as it was and start with any testing for uh, either pre-season games, if there's any at the stadium, or when the league starts again in September, or August, sorry. What about the cup final? Would you make an exception for the cup final? No, no, I wouldn't, because, uh, Adam, I'll tell you why, because it's going to be in London. If if the the situation is, when you think that only restaurants and bars can only open in May the 19th, uh, May, I think it is sometimes, we're only allowing some, keep you two metre distance, and travel with it, or you not to go out the area you're in. So it's going to mean that, you know, if you have 10,000 or 5,000 each or 10,000 each of supporters, they're going to have to be coming from London or in that area where they don't have to travel. So, again, you get into another difficult situation. I think we just have to go with it until the end of the season and start afresh for the new season. But let's not start changing it now. Well, wherever you listen to the podcast in the world, I hope that, you know, you're safe and that things are going in the right direction for you. We in the UK have now passed more than half of the popular male 
sorry, not male, female and male population, more than half now has had at least one inoculation. So things are moving in the right direction. I know it's not quite the same in Europe. It's different again in America. But wherever you are, I hope that you get the chance to have the vaccination and that we can all become safer in the non too distant future. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors who sponsor the podcast. And a big thank you to Adam, to Harlan, and to our special guest, Gary Owen, for, for the podcast. And thanks to you for listening and subscribing and, and, and just basically giving us the, the encouragement to carry on doing this, which is very much appreciated. Um, so we've got a two-week break. There will be a podcast next week again, in spite of the fact they're not being uh, a match. So I don't think that the podcast is going anywhere in the near future. Uh, but for now, enjoy uh, a week without a midweek game. What does that feel like? You know, we don't know what that feels like. Um, so enjoy the break. Have a good walk. Don't eat too much because I am. And uh, we'll see you again very, very soon. Remember, especially when you've just got through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup, it's great to be a blue.